Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. The number one thing I took from all these interviews that I see over and over is this idea of empathy. The entrepreneurs who do well are looking for one big issue, one big pain in the world that somebody has, and then they go in and they help out. And if they find a real big pain, they don't even have to have a great first version. In fact, people get like frustrated with first versions sometimes because they go, how could this guy get away with something that's so bad? If you find a big enough pain, it doesn't have to be great. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Freelance to Founder. I'm your host, Brandon Hull. On our show, we tell the real stories deeper than just the how-tos of people who've scaled their businesses to be much bigger than themselves. This is season five, episode six, and today we've got a slightly shorter story, but one you need to hear. Before I introduce our guest, a disclaimer, he was not a freelancer per se. In fact, he was concerned about being on the show for that reason. But you know what he is and what he's done that nearly every freelancer should learn from? He's fantastically curious, particularly about business and from a very young age. He's built a nearly $40 million business and sold it years ago. And he launched an interview show with a membership program for aspiring entrepreneurs that originally had no business plan, but it now produces seven figures in revenue every year. This is the story of Andrew Warner, founder of Mixergy. Season five of Freelance to Founder is supported by Gusto. On your own journey from freelance to founder, you'll notice that HR, payroll, and benefits can be a huge pain, which is why there's Gusto. Gusto makes it easy to scale your solo business through modern technology built specifically for small businesses just like yours. And as this season's sponsor, Gusto is offering freelance to founder listeners an exclusive deal at gusto.com slash FTF. Sign up using that link and you'll get three months completely free. It's a pretty big deal. Again, that's three full months completely free of Gusto HR payroll and benefits tech at gusto.com slash FTF. And this episode is supported in part by DesignCrowd. DesignCrowd helps entrepreneurs and small businesses like you outsource custom logos, business cards, and web design from top designers around the world. DesignCrowd has over 600,000 designers from Sydney to San Francisco, ready to help you with your creative ideas. With DesignCrowd, get the perfect custom design every time. Freelance to Founder listeners can receive up to $100 off their design project by visiting designcrowd.com slash founder or entering promo code founder at checkout. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. 
If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. So we often start our show giving you a glimpse into who our guests were when they were younger. Andrew's start, though, is like no other you've heard. Uh, the very young Andrew Warner actually never existed. There was a young Shuki Khalili. And the Shuki Khalili that, that I was, I changed my name when I started my company is why I say that. Uh, was very into business. I was curious about only one thing, business. How did people start their companies? How did they build it? How did they build them? I think up until somewhere around 12 or 13 or so, I, I knew I wanted something, that I was meant for something, and I had a sense of business, but I didn't fully connect with it. It wasn't until somewhere around there, maybe it was even as early as 11, I couldn't fall asleep at night. I would, I had terrible insomnia for most of my life. And I went to the Hillcrest Library and I happened to hit on these books about business and realized, hey, there are other people who feel like I feel. There are other people who think like I think. Andrew, and we're gonna call him Andrew, even starting with his childhood, just to keep this simple. He didn't love sports didn't really understand the love affair people had with them, even as a kid. He did love business. He got that from his father, though that's not necessarily what his father had in mind for him. My, my mom's family, they weren't entrepreneurs. My mom's dad was a factory worker for Coca-Cola. My dad's dad sold carpets, as I understand it, in, in Iran. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur who, who had clothing companies. Uh, at times he had stores, at times he had wholesale manufacturers. He almost always stuck with women's clothing because he said women buy more clothes than men. 
Uh, and so to that degree, I was exposed to entrepreneurship and I did get to see that it was it was a path. They didn't call it entrepreneurship, but I was exposed to it. The thing is that that didn't really fully excite me. Uh, my dad always told me not to be an entrepreneur like him and he didn't need to tell me that. It wasn't exciting. He was never building anything great. It was it was nice that it was freeing, that he could do his own thing, that I remember in the middle of the day, if he felt a little bummed, he could go to, to the store, which was a few blocks down from his office in Manhattan, and buy a nice sports jacket and feel good. But it wasn't the big businesses that I saw around Manhattan growing up. I would walk around and I'd see these incredible companies. I'd, I'd hear about them and I'd want to know who built them. And it was real people like you and me who did it. I hired somebody to take all the mementos from my wall growing up and from folders that I had and scan them and put them into an Evernote notebook. And one of the things that came up was a note from the shop teacher at Brooklyn Tech High School where I went to school. And he said, I took the rocks that you found in the dumpster and I mounted them for you. That just took me back. I found these rocks in the dumpster. I knew that alumni would feel some connection to the building. And the fact that these rocks were for the facade of the building, that they came from there, meant that they would feel connection to it. And I had him, I asked him to mount it. He mounted it and we sold it to um to to uh to alumni who came back. He started businesses all the time, even as a young kid. He tried his hand at an SAT tutoring class that didn't really work out. He Tried a mail order business, same deal there. And one thing did, though, work really well when he was young. I tried a bunch of different things. There weren't many that took off, but the ones that did were exciting enough to define me. Like shoveling snow was a huge defining moment because you have to man up, go to all your neighbors and say, can I shovel your snow and collect money? That's face to face. I was selling sandwiches door to door to stores in, in Jamaica Avenue, Jamaica, Queens making some money, but there was a limit. And I started saving my money up. And I think I got at that point to about $15,000. By the time I um, I hit my max when I was a student, I got to $20,000 saved and I couldn't do anything with it. And I remember asking my uncle, you're in real estate. Can you show me how to invest in real estate? And he didn't really take me seriously enough to even show me around. I asked my dad and here's what my dad said to me. Well, a lot of the store owners next to me have guys who sell perfume outside their stores. You could set up a table and sell perfume or something like that. And I said, I've hit my limit personally. I even tried to invest in real estate as a kid, as a like 17-year-old, and I couldn't do it on my own. No one's taking me seriously. My dad's vision for what the possibilities are is so limited that he can't think of more than just sell perfume outside of his store. I need to broaden my horizons. And so I went and I got a job while I was still um, at NYU. And the job that I got was for a Wall Street headhunter named Paul Cerbera, thing that was exciting about him was that he read the kinds of books that I read, that he lived that life and wanted to, with the people often who I read about, and wanted to build something even bigger. And so I like that he was showing me that there were bigger possibilities than my dad could. NYU, New York University, wanting to appease his father, but with his eyes on bigger things, Andrew had enrolled at NYU and plowed through, ultimately earning a degree in finance. He picked up a role with Alliance Consulting right after graduating and had a great five-year run in a research role with the firm. But his yearning to learn business in a more hands-on manner with his own thing was there. So he tapped his brother and they founded a company called Bradford and Reed. The first thing we did was we, my brother and I created an 
uh, an email list where we sold our own products. And so you and I are talking on Skype. We had this version of Skype that he created. And, you know, you'd send your audio out and then it would go to the other person and then that person would get it and it would would fire something back to you. We had a bunch of little things like that. The problem was it was a hits business. We were never thinking of taking any one of those ideas and making them big. We were too limited in our thought. We didn't think that we could turn it into Skype. So we kept coming up with the next idea and the next idea and the next idea. And the problem with that was we couldn't always come up with great ideas to sell for him to code up and for me to write the sales copy and promote. And so he would create great software that would be a huge hit to our list one month. And then the next month we couldn't come up with anything and we'd make no money. And it was like, or we'd struggle to come up with something. We'd never not make money, but it was painful. And so we said, what if instead of us coming up with our own stuff, we come up with um, a business where people sign up to get content and get advertising and we won't sell our own stuff. We'll just keep looking for advertising and the number of people who are willing to buy ads is unlimited. They settled on selling virtual gifts, virtual flowers, virtual toys, gag gifts. You'd purchase an item and send it to a friend and you were on Andrew and his brother Michael's email list. And then the idea fully expanded as they realized that greeting cards were an easy to implement popular item. And so that's when we said, all right, let's keep that other business going. It'll sell whatever ideas Michael created before. And we'll start a new one that will focus on building content and selling ads. And that became Bradford and Reed. And then Bradford and Reed evolved from there to how do you get people to subscribe? The thing that worked was creating greeting cards. So Bradford and Reed, while it seemed like it was an online greeting card business, it was really more than that from a revenue standpoint. Oh, and by the way, you wouldn't know that's what they did from that name, would you? Andrew and Michael wanted a name that would elicit a different response when calling potential sponsors or advertisers better than some hokey early internet company name might. Clever, right? They went one step further than creating an online greeting card business. They allowed people to create a greeting card section to their own website with just a snippet of code. This ratcheted up their subscribers to thousands of new ones every day. Then they decided to pay website owners to use their system by giving them 10 cents every time one of their users sent out a greeting card. With that tweak, millions of people were using their engine and their newsletter had millions of subscribers. Now, we're not going to get into all the math nor the rest of the full story of Bradford and Reed. I share these details for context only. But in 2000, they did $38.5 million in revenue with just under $7 million in profits. But they hit a wall. They were fully burnout with the business, exhausted. Despite growing to that level and with 55 employees, they were done. They sold the business in various parts and Andrew needed a break. So one of the first things I did was I said, I don't want to own anything. I would pick up the Wall Street Journal just to disconnect from the internet. And then I finally ended up in Europe just backpacking. And um, and that was the life that I wanted. I wanted to fully disconnect. I had to actually learn to do that. You know what? What I what I started out doing was I had agendas. I felt like, all right, you're in Paris, you've got to see the Louvre. You're in this country, you got to go see. I was in, I forget where it was, Barcelona, I guess, where there was a Picasso museum. So I have to go to that. I had to train myself to say, it's morning. You're in a new country. Where do you want to go today? What does an entrepreneur do when they're done? When they've driven down that road, succeeded, hit a wall and found a way out with a huge exit? Well, there's no one thing entrepreneurs do. 
For some, they jump right into their next idea. For others, maybe they throw it all out the window and become an investor in others' companies. Andrew, no longer needing a weekly paycheck, decided to go back to his roots, satiating his curiosity about business. Of course, after that backpacking trip throughout Europe. With no plan, no business model, but also no pressure, he started Mixergy. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about how Mixergy got its start. And in keeping with our theme on Freelance to Founder, we'll dig into how his business works from a revenue standpoint. Thanks again to this season's sponsor, Gusto. If you're ready to scale your solo business, but you're worried about the complicated details behind hiring, HR, payroll, or benefits, Gusto can help. They've built some incredible technology to ensure you get HR and payroll right as you grow. You can get three free months of Gusto by visiting gusto.com slash FTF. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com slash F-T-F. We'd also like to thank Design Crowd for their support of this episode. Everyone knows if you're going to take your solo business more seriously, you need to look professional. With Design Crowd, hire talented designers from Sydney to San Francisco to help you design your business cards, website, or even your logo. You'll get the perfect custom design every single time. Save up to $100 by visiting designcrowd.com slash founder or entering promo code founder at checkout. Welcome back. We left you with a once exhausted but now reinvigorated Andrew Warner. Having sold his first enterprise in 2004, taking some much needed time off, he partied in Vegas, he backpacked throughout Europe, as you heard, and he literally ran with the bulls in Pamplona. But now he was ready to do something more. It was a bunch of different things that basically led me to a passion, which was getting getting entrepreneurial stories out there. I believe that there should be a way to have like a billion dollar business doing that. Why is it that all these people who I admired as, as a kid didn't end up creating that? If they know so much about business that they're teaching everyone else, why couldn't they get to that level? And I thought this could be my start for that. And so it was that Mixergy was born. He loves the impact that an 80-year-old book like How to Win Friends and Influence People still has on readers. He wants to leave a similar legacy while also selfishly satisfy that business curiosity. I didn't do as much planning, partially because I found my first business that there was all the planning I did gave me a sense of the world and the mechanics of, of my, my business, but not enough. And we ended up doing something completely different. I started out with email marketing. It turned out that greeting cards were supposed to be a way for people to discover my email newsletters and then sign up. Turns out it was the email newsletters that be- took a backseat to the greeting cards. So how could you predict that? I'd much rather I decided just understand my customer and like figure out each next step as I go. Um, I remember being um, in Europe and contacting the person who has my money, the the organization that does, and saying I need money wired in. And I felt okay about that. And then there was a point where I felt like a even though it was my own money that I was asking for, I set it up specifically that I had to go and ask for it, that I couldn't have access to it. Um, even though I was asking for my own money, I felt a lot like a kid going back to his daddy, asking for money with his hand out. Literally in my mind, I, I visualized myself with my hand out, even though it was my own money. And and then I said, you know, I think it's time for for this to change. So that was a big part of it. And the other part was, I think because Mixergy didn't need to make money, I didn't think enough about what people wanted. It was just more of 
what do I feel like? And what do I feel like in the moment? And so I decided to inch my way towards making Mixergy sustainable, self-sustainable. He's now over 1,600 interviews into the show. That's astounding to me. If you listen to it, I'd compare his interview style to a mixture of Charlie Rose and James Lipton. While he loves the craft of entrepreneurship, that's the Lipton, he also forces his interviewees to open up for the benefit of listeners, and that's the Rose part. Now, this episode isn't about the podcast, though. It's about the business. It's about what he scaled beyond himself. And here's what Mixergy has become. Remember, it started as a podcast with no plan. The entrepreneur and Andrew meant that there was no way the lack of a revenue plan was going to stick forever. But there was one route he knew he didn't want to go. I never liked advertising uh, for my model until I met this guy, Sachit. Um, and he took over our ads. For a long time, I didn't accept any ads at all. I thought ads were just going to take away from the message. And then I thought, if I want people to get a sense that this is not my hobby, this is a real thing, a real business, an ad actually sent that message in a way that no statement at the beginning or end of every episode could ever make. So I started accepting ads for very little money. But I felt like we weren't fully aligned, me with my audience, with the ads, because I was taking their attention away to talk about something that was going to help me produce the, the show. And so I was looking for something I could sell. What could I sell? And if I could sell, what could I sell ideally in a way that I could get predictable revenue? Because I actually, one thing I know about myself is I'm not good at doing well right away. There's some people who are naturals. They do well at something right away. I've never done well at anything right away. Nothing. I know that I need to keep iterating to get good at everything. So if we're going to have, let's say, poker at my house with a bunch of people and I want to get, I want I want to have a good poker game. I need to accept to myself that the first one's probably going to suck and maybe there's some random luck that will not and tell people, let's do this as an experiment. You're going to come to my house and we're going to do poker. Let's make it a $5 buy-in. And then I, what I'm good at is paying attention to where things don't work well and then finding a way to improve a little bit the next time. This is how he iterated beyond the podcast. And the first thing that I did was was guides. Then I did li live sessions with people where I would bring in an entrepreneur and we'd do a live session and the, the recording of it was a bonus. And then the thing that worked out was, was courses. And I didn't know courses would work out. Uh, Noah Kagan and I spent an hour on the phone thinking of different possibilities and how to rate them in a spreadsheet. I think we tried a bunch of them. The one that I thought would be the best was guides. I thought the idea, I think we called it usable guides because people wanted all these interviews to be turned into something usable. So I spent time with a guy named Michael Alexis, a fantastic writer, really good at pulling out ideas. And we created guides based on what people, what interviewees at Mixergy said. Entrepreneurs who listened would say, I heard it. Now what do I do? How do I become more like him? So we would turn it into usable guides. Anyway, I tried a bunch of them. I need a place to iterate. Now, where Andrew differs from pure interviewers like the ones I mentioned earlier is this curious entrepreneurial bent he has. Ready to make Mixergy a real business, he tested all of those ideas, settled on guides, but didn't want to sell them one at a time. Michael Alexis was one person in particular that helped him get over the hump. He saw that I was flopping around, Michael Alexis. He saw that I was doing this by myself and he jumped in to help with it. And yeah, you're right. Michael Alexis was the very first person, a listener who was a good writer who said, I see someone who's flopping and not getting it. And I could, I could help. I could do a better job. The Mixergy business model is now this. 
His 10 years running podcast features long running sponsors that pay a premium for Andrew to casually mention the value of their service. And he's transparent about those sponsorships. They start off at more than $5,000 for just three episode placements. Now, many guests on his show have also partnered with Andrew to publish courses to teach aspiring entrepreneurs how to do their thing, whether that's how to host webinars, create a sales funnel, run viral contests, productize your services or build internal systems. Members pay $49 per month and he's got about 900 of them. Also, in late 2016, he partnered with Tam Pham to launch Bot Academy, an educational resource and service teaching entrepreneurs how to leverage chatbots to grow their business on Facebook and elsewhere. That service exploded immediately, enabling him to purchase a similar bot service bots for business in spring 2017. So let's talk about this team. I mentioned Mixergy is now a seven figure business. What if I told you that Andrew Warner has found a way to grow and run the business with only his full-time attention to it and Tam's full-time focus on Bot Academy? Other than that, Andrew has a personal assistant and a lineup of part-time freelancers helping. He's learned to outsource his limitations, but without having to hire full-time employees. Well, I, I definitely have had challenges with hiring my whole life. It's been an issue for me. If I could focus on one thing, it would be that. Somehow things break and then we need to fix it. And that's that's something that Cameron would want me to think differently about too. He'd want me to say, in 18 months, where do you want to be? Now, who's going to need to be there? Start now. Instead of, it's broken, there's a fire, go deal with it. Andrew has that tension that he mentioned for only addressing things when they're broken, rather than look ahead towards the possibilities more proactively. Though he jumped on the chatbot train early on and it has paid off for him, it's the Mixergy business that's a more interesting lesson for freelancers. Like many of our past guests, Andrew took a community that he had established trust with and provided value to and expanded it into a customer base. That was the formula. Community first, revenue later. He's proven that sometimes you can figure out the revenue plan later as well. Now, he had runway to pull that off, money from his past company's sale. But if you're a freelancer, maybe you have a day job that you can fill your tank financially while you move from freelance to community builder to founder. He mentioned Cameron. That's Cameron Heald, the former chief operating officer of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and current founder of COO Alliance. He had some sharp words for Andrew in a publicly shared episode of Mixergy where Andrew got a coaching session for all of us to listen in on. And then everything else you're going to delegate. When you come up with a list of all that other stuff, that's going to start. I want to give you a short excerpt from this episode because it's great insight into Andrew's struggles that he realizes as a founder, but also the coaching he's willing to take and the coaching that freelancers should be willing to take as well. The stuff you don't love. So that's the first area is figuring out what you want to get off your plate. Um, what were your grades like in school? Were you, you were a really good student, I'm guessing? Um, I was a good student in some places and not in others. So straight A's or, or solid B's? Uh, in those areas, straight A's. In those uh, no, that's uh, all chemistry. I, that's all I need. Sorry? So that's, that I would have been disappointed had I not gotten a straight A is part of you uh, part of what makes you really good but it's also it's also a bit of your achilles heel why and i heard it earlier it's like i want them to do it my way no what i really mean is i want them to have systems you're looking an awful lot for perfection so as an example if you could just get your executive assistant here's what i've learned about andrew warner over the past few months of getting to know him 
He can sound like a pushy New Yorker on Mixergy. He demands numbers from his entrepreneur interviewees. He expects straight answers. And he once cut an interview short because his guest was distracted, giving vague answers and generally unhelpful to the audience. But when you get him, he's generous and collaborative. He's scaled a business far beyond himself twice now and the second time with very limited staff. And he's built it from his personal interests and curiosities. While he's not 100% sure where he's going to take it from here, he has learned a couple final takeaways for other aspiring founders. The number one thing I took from all these interviews that I see over and over is this idea of empathy. The entrepreneurs who do well are looking for one big issue, one big pain in the world that somebody has, and then they go in and they help out. And if they find a real big pain, they don't even have to have a great first version. In fact, people get like frustrated with first versions sometimes because they go, how could this guy get away with something that's so bad? If you find a big enough pain, it doesn't have to be great. And that's the story of Andrew Warner, founder of Mixergy. Coming up next week, Brittany Castro, founder of FinanciallyWiseWomen.com. She's evolved from working as a financial advisor early in her career to establishing her own powerful personal brand as a writer, speaker, and educator, empowering women to take greater control of their financial futures. This is a true story of overcoming the odds. You've got to hear it. For all of us at Milo, and please come visit us at Milo.co or in the Milo Mastermind group on Facebook, I'm Brandon Hull. Shoot a note to me on Twitter too. I'm at Brandon Hull, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-H-U-L-L. Let me know your feedback on our show and join us next time on Freelance to Founder.